time today to lead you on a Bible study that gets to where we want to get at the end. To take you in some places you may not have thought about any time lately. If you have your Bibles, book of Ruth chapter 4, verse 18, and Psalms chapter 122. Ruth 4, verse 18, and the psalm listed as 122. I, uh, we, we, we spent time this year, I think it was uh, at the beginning of the year, I think we took, I think we took uh, four, I believe it was four, maybe five Wednesday nights, and we talked about the book of Ruth, great truths there, and I'm not about to re-preach it, but let me just draw from the last part of the book of Ruth. Now these are the generations of Pharaoh's. Pharaoh's begat Hezron, Hezron begat Ram, Ram begat Abinadab, Abinadab begat Nashon, Nashon begat Salmon, Salmon begat Boaz. Boaz begat Obed, Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David. It's just, a, just the, the genealogies. Most of us, when we read that, we skim over them. They tend to get boring, especially if you get into some of the very long ones. But let me, let me take you as Paul Harvey, and I don't know, how many, how many of you even know who Paul Harvey is? Okay, that's good. How many of you ever heard the rest of the story broadcast that he used to do? I remember Grandpa, uh, it, was, it was tradition. We'd be outside, we'd, he'd be welding or we'd be working. And at 12 o'clock, no matter where it was, if he was around a radio, everything stopped, he turned on the radio because at 12 o'clock was Paul Harvey's The Rest of the Story. Let me give you the rest of the story to this genealogy. It's recorded in the Psalm of David, meaning David wrote it, Psalm 122. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. How many of you were glad this morning when you woke up and said, hey, it's church time? Why don't you look at your neighbor and say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You may not know how those things go together, but before the end of this sermon, you will. Father, we thank you today for your touch. We thank you for how you have ministered to this congregation. I pray that you would bless, give strength to each one here. Let your word come alive, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can be seated. I will do my best uh, to help flesh out this story. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt unworthy of the love of God? I have. Let, Let me take it outside of the spiritual aspect. Have you ever done something to someone and you know you hurt them, but they came back and reciprocated kindness when you didn't deserve it. Anybody like that? Yeah. You know, you, there's, there's no way on God's great earth they should ever give you the time of day, but they did. And if that happens in the, the natural realm, how much more does it happen in the spiritual realm? Uh, was it? I believe it was last Sunday. I, I should know my sermons better, but uh, I think it was last Sunday we talked about the, the great I am and the who am I. And I, didn't, uh, I did not do that justice because I was l- reading back through my Bible and I had notes and, and, and I don't think I put it. Maybe I did and if I did and I've already forgot it. But in that, that uh, Exodus, where in the book of Exodus where God tells Moses, I am that I am, it, it's recorded just 
a few verses before, I believe, where Moses himself said, Who am I that I should go? I have that same thought when I come into the presence of God. I don't deserve His presence. Now, I've never... Well, I guess I committed two crimes in my life that I know of. I uh, was walking with my mother through Schnooks there on Howarder Shell in that bulk candy aisle. And those M&Ms looked so good. And I didn't know Mom was looking. And so I opened the candy and I got one M&M. And as soon as I put it in my mouth, my mama turned around. And the wrath of Jane Claire Mitchell Buford came bubbling out. Besides the fact that she child abused me right there in the middle of schnooks. She drugged me to the manager and said, my son has to pay for the M&M. How much do we owe? The manager laughed and said, it's no big deal. And it was to her. And I stole a traffic cone once as a teenager because I could. It's haunted me ever since. But I've not committed a lot of crimes. I mean, speeding, yes. But I've not robbed banks. I've not vandalized things. I've not punched people in the mouth and knocked their teeth out in the middle of the street. I'm a pretty good guy. I was raised in the church. My dad's a preacher, fifth generation Uh, Pentecost, all I know is church, I'm a pretty good person. But I'd have to say the same thing that Paul said. All of my goodness I have to count but dung because there's nothing inside Brandon Paul Buford that ever deserves the presence of God. When I come into the glory, and, and that's one of the things that I'm so thankful about the church. And I've had conversations a lot. I've had conversations all this week and last week, and I've had them all my life. There is a great difference between a church that is of apostolic persuasion and, 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 and flows with the moving of the Spirit. We can come to church and feel the presence of God. I've been to other churches where everything is rote and form and, and, and punk, pomp and circumstance and there's nothing there. It's dead. It's dry. But oh, I'm so thankful to walk into the lighthouse on a Sunday or a Wednesday or any other time uh, uh, that we have church and I can lift up my hands and the overflow of His Spirit is there. Sometimes it causes me to weep. Sometimes I, I jump. Sometimes I just simply kneel. Other times I'm quiet in His presence, but I don't deserve it and while I know that when I have been forgiven I know that when I was baptized in Jesus name the blood washed away all of my sins my mind doesn't always get washed the same as Jesus's book of life and there have been times I've come here And I begin to lift up hands and they are holy because of His forgiving grace. They are righteous because of the mercies of God. I've been redeemed. I can stand here. But my mind begins to roll and it plays as if the end of life is showing. And it plays all of the faults and the sins and the circumstances that I've been a part of. And my mind wonders, God, why do you love me so? The verse of Psalms 122 It it, it echoes the way I feel. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. One of the joys that I have as, as a person, not even as a preacher, 
one of the joys that I have, and I hope it becomes something of you, is to read the Bible continually throughout my life and understand it more and more and more. You remember that, that great repentant psalm of David? I believe it's Psalms 51, uh, where it said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit within me. You know that, that in fact, let, let me turn there. I want to read to you something because it's going to help us uh, jump to where we need to go. The psalmist began to wrote, write this, and I'm not going to change. Uh, I'm not going to change the meaning of the psalm. So what I'm about to say does not change anything that I've ever preached about it or you've heard preached about it. But David wrote this: "Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother." conceive me. Now there is an understanding there and it's a universal understanding that will go through all of eternity that you and I were born in sin. That we, we, we carry the nature of Adam and Eve and their sin and their circumstances. We're there. And I've, I've preached it. I've said it. You don't have to teach a child how to lie. You don't have to teach a child how not to share. It's built into their DNA. But I've recently begun to understand that that may not have been Adam's, I'm sorry, that may not have been David's primary reason for writing that scripture. Let's look back. Let's, let's go back to Ruth chapter 4. The generations of Pharez. Pharez begat Hezron. Hezron had Ram, and Ram had a son named Amenadab, and Amenadab had a son named Nashon. Nashon begat Salmon. Salmon begat Boaz. We know that name. Boaz begat Obed. Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse had a son named David at first glance. This genealogy, this family tree seems innocuous enough. While there are some names in there we recognize, there's a lot more that the average reader of the Bible may not understand. And so it would be good to delve into the genealogy of David. One of the things that's, that's uh, very you know, happening right now, we've got uh, uh, genealogies like, like uh, Ancestry.com. How many of you have ever done any work on Ancestry.com? Uh, uh, brother... Jolly, how far back have you been able to find some of your, your relatives? Do you know? 1600s. It's so cool. It costs a little bit of money, but, but I, I've been able to, to trace my mind back to at least the 1700s there in, in England. And, and, and I always thought we were French, but we found out later that we were actually English. And somewhere along the line, they got mad at England and they left and they went to France. And that was where it goes. I found out that my name should be spelled B-E-A-U-F-O-R-D. The French spelling, Beaufort. But I had a, a, a my great-great-great-grandfather was a storekeeper named Moses Buford. And he got tired. This is the story that we've been told. He got tired of writing paper receipts. And so he decided to shorten it. Instead of Beaufort, he just did B-U. And it did Buford, and that's where our name changed. How many of you have ever done? I know some people are, are putting, especially with the advent of vinyl graphics. Any, any one of you at your house, you've got a, a, one of those vinyl graphic trees, and you put pictures on it. Anybody have that yet? You can see it on Pinterest. I don't look at Pinterest. My wife showed it to me one day. That is, until I found out that on Pinterest they had hunting and fishing pins, and then I kind of got on it because it was kind of neat. But don't tell anybody because I'm embarrassed to know that. But genealogies fascinate me. So let's take a look at the family tree of David. 
Now, we didn't start here in Ruth chapter 4, verse 18, but you have to know who begat Pharez. Judah begat Pharez. Judah was one of Jacob's sons, what we call Israel. He's one of those 12 sons that later we get the 12 tribes of Israel. Judah means praise. And, and Judah, as you go through it, there's some things in Judah's tribe, in Judah's history that are great. And you can see that through. But to be honest, inserted in the stories of Genesis is Genesis chapter 38 and verse 6. And I realize we have children that are present. And, and so I'll, I'll be delicate. But the truth is the Bible records it so you ought to understand. Judah had a son named Ur. His firstborn and 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 uh, Judah took, or, or you know, because they arranged marriages back then. Judah arranged for a lady named Tamar to be the wife of Ur. Ur, the Bible records, was wicked in the sight of God, so wicked that God slew him as punishment. And so it was that during this time there was a law. You see it very much in the story of Ruth. And uh, but there was a law called the Levite uh, uh, marriage, and it was that that if you had, had died, if, if a man had died and, and his wife, there was no, uh, uh, they had no children and there was nothing to, to get that name perpetuated, it was that that wife would become the wife of the next line, the next kinsman. And so it was that the next in line was Onan. And the Lord said, or rather Judas said, go take Tamar, marry her, raise up a child to be your brother's seed. You can read it yourself. There's there's things in there that I don't want to talk about, but Onan didn't do what was right and Onan didn't fulfill that covenant and so the Lord took and slew Onan. And so here's Judah and 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 he he he's had uh two sons. And they had this Tamar and so Judah said, "Don't don't worry. We'll make sure that the name is perpetuated. Give us time until my next son grows." And so Tamar did, but Judah didn't keep the, what his uh, promise was. Now I don't condone what happens, and I don't think necessarily that the Bible condones what happens. But here was Tamar, desperate to have a seed, desperate to be able to perpetuate the lineage of Ur. And so the Bible says that Tamar went to where the shepherds were, and she clothed herself with a veil, and she played the prostitute, which was wrong. But Judah went there and Judah was looking for one. That was wrong too. She was veiled. Judah couldn't see who it was. And so they played the game. And there was money that exchanged hands. And there was a, 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 a signet that says, this is me, a ring and a, and a, and a, a rod that Judah gave her. And, and, and so because of this uh, uh, illicit affair, Tamar began to expect a child. As you can imagine, at some point, Tamar could no longer hide the fact that she was expecting. And so Judah got mad because he was, you know, this represents his family. He got mad and he was going to take her and stone her. And she said, but I can prove who it was. And she pulls out that signet ring and pulls out that, that, that rod. And it was, Judah, it was, uh, it was uh, uh, Judah's and Judah realized he had been caught. He was supposed to have provided that son and didn't. But out of that incestuous relationship, 
father and daughter-in-law came a young child named Pharez. Pharez was a child of an illicit affair. And David looks at that and he, he, he knows that you go back. I got a great, 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 great grandfather that was a bastard. Hezron begat Ram, or, or Pharez begat Hezron. There's not much known of Pharez or his wife. Hezron begat Ram. We don't know much about that family. Ram begat Abinadab and Abinadab. We don't know much about them. Nashon and Salmon. Again, not much is known. But Salmon had Boaz. Now, I know this might not say much there, but if you were to read the, uh, 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 that, it, it would tell you that Boaz's mother was a harlot because Boaz's mother was Rahab and the Bible says plainly go to that house that she is the book of Ruth in the introduction to the book of Ruth you find that 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 Ruth took place in the time of the judges and Boaz of Ruth's fame had had a pretty messed up history too his mother was the enemy Israel had left the wilderness, crossed the Jordan River. They faced the formidable city of Jericho. And inside the city was a house where a harlot plied her trade. And hanging outside of that window was a scarlet card. Her name was Rahab. And David would know that in his family tree. While the book of Ruth is an absolutely incredible story. In fact, as I mentioned earlier, we spent over a month on that. The truth is, Ruth was a foreigner. Ruth didn't belong in the lineage of David. Ruth was a Moabitess. You can read that in Ruth chapter 1. When they went, they left. And they weren't supposed to leave. They left a, 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 a Naomi and her, son, and her husband, Elimelech, and their two sons, Malon and Chilion. They were from Bethlehem. And they should have stayed in Bethlehem. But they, they gave up and they left. And they went to the enemy's country. And there, Elimelech and Malon and Chilion died and was left with Naomi and Ruth and Orpah, of course it's a beautiful story what, what happened, that kinsman redeemer. Boaz and Ruth had a child named Obed. Not much is known about Obed and his wife, but they begat Jesse. Nothing I can find in the word of God tells me a lot about David's early life. You're, you're actually thrown into the story of David when Samuel is searching for Jesse whom God had told him to find to anoint one of Jesse's sons as the king of Israel to succeed Saul. Stick around tonight and we're going to talk a little bit about Saul and things of, uh, of Saul's problems. But it's the beginning of the story of King David that as great as David is and was, the beginning of his story seems to be a little uh, belittling, if I could use that. Samuel marches into Jesse's house and says, God has sent me to find one of your sons. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to anoint that son with oil, and they're going to be the king in waiting. There will be a moment of time in which God will remove Saul from being king, and this is going to be the next in line. And so Samuel did. Jesse came. Jesse brings their son. The first one comes. His name is Eliab. And, and man, he's strong. He looks good. He's tall. He, he's, he's handsome. And, and Samuel's ready to anoint him king. And Jesus, or rather God at that point says, uh, don't look on the outward appearance. I'm looking at the heart. He's not the one. 
Abinadab comes by Samuel and he looks just as good, just as strong, just as kingly. But the Lord didn't choose him either. Shammah, the next son, comes and this is not the Lord's choice either. Seven of Jesse's sons parade themselves in front of of Samuel and none of them are chosen by the Lord. And finally Samuel says, is there any other children? Jesse says, well, there remains the youngest, he keepeth the sheep. And I'm just reading the word of God. Jesse doesn't say, I'm going to go get him. Those first seven, it seemed like they were one right after another. Jesse was excited. Jesse knew just one of them were. But nowhere in the story does it say Jesse ever decided, let me go get him. It was until Samuel said, we're not going to sit down until he comes. Some of you, if I said, let's stand the whole service, you'd pass out. I don't know how far the wilderness was. I don't know how far the sheepfold was. But Samuel said, nobody's sitting until David comes. David comes in, I don't know, some say he was 12 years old, some younger, some say he's older, I have no idea. But he would anoint him, this is the one. David, we have, from, from that point on to David's life, we have one of the most complete renderings of a, of a life that we can find in the scriptures. It shows all of his ups and his downs, it shows his failures and his faults, all the way to that the Lord said, he's a man after my own heart. David was one of those that could, he he loved to write. He would write those songs and he would sing those psalms. And you can see that throughout the word of God. Many of the psalms in the Bible, in fact most of the psalms in the Bible written are at least attributed to David. And so David penned these words in Psalms 122. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. You see, when David penned those words, it was not just something good that was said. It was not just uh, uh, something that would would rhyme. It it was nothing like that at all. In fact, I believe much as David's psalms were written, not because they, they were theologically sound, and they were, but he wrote them because of what issued and emanated from his heart. And so when David penned those words... David, in reality, was excited more than just the average person to go to the temple. Let me bring you to Deuteronomy chapter 23. Deuteronomy 23 records some of the law that God gave Moses concerning the tabernacle. And one of them says, he that is wounded in the... uh, This is Deuteronomy 23.1. He that's wounded in the stones or hath his privily member cut off shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. That's anyone that's a eunuch castrated they weren't allowed to go it says a bastard shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord even generation shall he not enter into the congregation of the Lord did you catch that that illegitimate child cannot enter even for ten generations verse three an Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to their tenth generation shall they not enter into the congregation of the Lord forever. Did it jump out at you? A Moabite's not there. It's not that there's not a David. David was the tenth generation according to the Mosaic law. He was not able to enter into the congregation of the Lord, rather. If you go from the generations of a Moabite, you have Ruth. 
Obed, Jesse, David. He's only fourth in a line that has to go at least to, to, to generation 11. Although some say that that reads they never get into the tabernacle. But David, however, that's why I wanted to go back to uh, Psalms 51 when he says, I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. There are many commentators and many theologians that believe that he did not first mean the universal sin of Adam, but he was recognizing that I don't deserve where I'm at. My family's messed up. My, my grandfathers and forefathers messed up. If you go down David's own lineage, he messed up. Back into the Old Testament. And I know that we talk about the dispensations. And, and there's some truth there. And we talk about uh, Moses and, and all the way to where Jesus came. The dispensation of grace. And when the law should have precluded David from ever stepping foot into a tabernacle or a temple. When the laws and the regulations was there. David was a recipient of mercy and grace. When his fleshly lineage should have barred him from the presence of God, it was grace that stepped in and said it's not our flesh and it's not our failures that dictates the access that we have into the presence of God, but rather it's your Thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. I want to see thy glory. I want to see thy power. So I can see thee in somebody here. Your past doesn't predict what God's going to do for you. It doesn't matter what trouble you find. It doesn't matter what problems you find. It doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter how low you've stooped to the dregs of society. The grace of God says, I'm not looking on your outside. I'm not looking on who you are. I'm just looking for someone that says, I don't belong in your presence. But can I get there, please? I find it very interesting. I, I, I know that we don't normally preach from genealogies. But would you give me access, would you give me time to lead you to one more genealogy? Matthew chapter 1. And I'm not going to read it all. You can find it. Reading in verse 2. Abraham begat Isaac. And Isaac begat Jacob, Jacob, Judas, and Judas and his brethren. That means Judah. Judah begat Pharaoh and Zara of Tamar. There's that name again. Pharaz begat Ezram, Ezram begat Aram. We're now in the New Testament, and so sometimes they're using the Greek or the Aramaic spellings, which is why they're a bit different, but it's the same people. Aram, Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab, Nason, Nason, Salmon, Salmon, Boaz of Rahab. Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. It's interesting that not all of them include the women, but there, there's three or four of them where you see the women involved. Judah and Tamar, Boaz of Rahab. Obed of Ruth. Obed begat Jesse. Jesse begat David the king. And David begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. You know the story. David, when all of the kings and the army should have been out fighting the battle, David stayed home. He's up on the top of his palace that was the highest of all the city of Jerusalem. And he's bored, he's just wandering around, he's supposed to be working, he's supposed to be fighting, but he's bored, he stayed home. He's just kind of taking it easy. And, 
and, and because his home is higher, he could see the roofs of all of the homes there. And there in a private area of another home, but he had access to see. He saw Bathsheba. She was bathing. And David burned in lust toward her. And so he called for her to come. An affair happened and she became pregnant and, and you can't hide it and so David didn't want to get caught so he, he works it all out. Hey, let's, let's find your son Uriah which by the way, Uriah was one of David's mighty men. It would have been one of David's very best friends. And David gets it all worked out where Uriah has to go first into a battle and he's killed. So now David can legally, see the air quotes, legally marry Bathsheba. The child is born, but it's very sickly. But it's that time that the prophet Nathan comes and points his bony finger in David and says, David, you sinned. But here in this genealogy that we read, there are four ladies mentioned. Tamar, incest, Rahab, a harlot, Ruth, a Moabite, Bathsheba doesn't say the wife of David even though she was it mentions her affair goes on Solomon had Rehoboam Rehoboam had Abiah Asa Jehoshaphat Joram keep reading all of that go to verse 15 Eliad begat Eleazar Eleazar begat Mathis Mathis begat Jacob Jacob begat Joseph the husband of Mary of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. I don't, by any stretch of the imagination, dare try to tell you why Jesus does what he does. But I think Jesus chose to put his lineage in a line of dysfunctional people. So that when it gets to that place where he says, he became like you, he could look back and says, I've got skeletons in my closet. Because he just wanted to prove once and for all, it doesn't matter what you've done that gives you access to the grace and the mercy of God. The Lord says, I'll give it to anyone who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. I don't deserve the presence of God. I know you don't. But that doesn't matter. I could read to you Psalms 84. In fact, if you'll stand with me. I read to you Psalms 84. I don't know exactly who wrote it. It says it's a psalm for the Korahites. Some say that David wrote it, but the Korahites sung it. Others say the Korahites wrote it and they sung it. But the song says this. My soul longeth. Yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. It says, Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. It keeps going down. It says in verse 10, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. And I preached it here, but let me remind you today. When those Korahites would sing it, that means they were of the, the, the lineage of Korah. 
their father Korah rebelled against Moses. You can read it there in the book of Exodus. The earth swallowed Korah and all of those that came from Korah's lineage and everything that appertained unto Korah. The earth swallowed them up and, and, and ate them and they were gone. And the Bible says it's never happened like that again. But generations later, these sons would stand knowing full well it was their grandfather, father, you know, their great, great, great grandfather. They, they would know it was them that rebelled and tried to be like, like Aaron, the priest. And, and they, they got all bent out of shape and God had to take them out. But it was those sons that said, I'd rather be in the presence of God than anything else. I've come to tell somebody right now, I know you don't deserve His presence. That doesn't matter to him. If David can get into the tabernacle, you and I can too. All of that is included in the Word of God to give you hope that the grace and the mercies of God are from everlasting to everlasting. You just have to desire it. Those that hunger and thirst and seek after righteousness shall be filled. These altars are open now for the undeserving. This altar is open now for those that, that you've messed up in your life. And you, 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 your, your history, your lineage, your genealogy says you're a bad person. Jesus doesn't look at that. He looks at those that just get out of their aisle and say, I'm going to come to you not because of works that I have done, not because of righteousness that I have wrought, but because your grace is sufficient for me. I open these altars for those that feel they're unworthy. Would you come? Would you come? As we lift up our hands, will you meet us here? As we call on your name